Amen. Please be seated. I just want to let you know that from here going forward, if you ever have a thought that maybe we're going to be closed due to weather, you can now just go to our website and any closures will be right there staring at you as soon as you log on to our website. So that'll be the one-stop, easy shopping for everybody from here going forward. Thank you for joining us. In spite of the possible ice in your neighborhood, probably all melted by now, wasn't it? Yeah, all right. Today's sermon is about heaven. We started last Sunday on heaven. That was heaven part one. This is part two. Yeah, we're going to try and cover all there is to know about heaven in two sermons. Last week we started with, why do we believe there's a heaven? Gave a couple of short answers to that. If you missed that, go back and listen to it. And then we talked about what is heaven like, and we gave some answers. One, heaven will be a beautiful new earth in a beautiful new universe. And then we asked the question, but what will we be like? And the answer, in heaven, you will be, we will be new in body and new in soul, in body and in soul. So we started in on body last week, didn't quite get it finished, so we're going to resume that, how we'll be new in body, and then we'll spend the rest of our time on how we'll be new in soul and a little bit more. New in body. What will heaven be like? We'll be in new bodies. We will be in different bodies. The same you, because it's a resurrection. The same you, because it's a change. We shall be changed. So it's you. There's continuity between this you and that you. It's the same you, but you'll be different. There's discontinuity. We will be changed. What will we be like? Probably the best passage to turn to for that, probably the best description in all of Scripture telling us what we will be like is penned for us by the Apostle Paul, and it's found in a letter he wrote to a church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In that chapter, he gives us four couplets. Each one of them has what we are now and what we shall be. Number two, what we are and shall be. Three, are, shall be. Four, are, shall be. Four couplets that tell us what we will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. Are you ready? One person's ready. Bless you. Here we go. The first couplet. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, that's you. That's a picture of death, like a seed. We're sowing your body in the ground. You've died. We're burying you. It's sown. Interestingly, if you sow wheat, you get wheat. If you sow beans, you get beans. If you sow humans, you get humans. So you'll be sown and you'll rise. And what is sown is perishable. So there's going to be a contrast here, perishable and imperishable. Let's think first about what we are now. We are perishable. You are perishable. You will not live like this forever. You will not live like this in this condition forever. You are slowly but surely perishing. I'm reminded of avocados. 
Anybody like avocados? Make them even better. How about avocado and bacon? Oh. My dad's 93. I might live that long. Depends on how I do with avocado and bacon. So you go into the fridge and you get out an avocado. You've got maybe three of them in there. And you've been watching them, thinking about, I can't let them in there too long. They'll go bad. You get one out, but it's going to be too ripe. I mean, not, not ripe enough. So you sit it on the counter for a day. And the next day, all right, it's time to cut it. And you cut that to have with your bacon. And you open it up and it's gray and shrivelly. Waited too long. The avocado perished. And that's what this word means. We're like fruit sitting on the, on the countertop, and we're getting bad. We are perishable. We do not endure forever. We get old. We, we decay. We're starting to go down. But we will be raised imperishable. Raised imperishable, you never get old, you never decay, you are never ill, you never fall apart, you never get weak, you never perish, and we will be raised imperishable. Now, I thought this week, there are some particles that we know of on the planet that last a lot longer than others. Let me do a little digging. It wasn't hard. There's this thing called xenon, spelled with an X, xenon-124, it's an atom. I didn't know about this till this week. You probably don't know. Some of you might know about it. A xenon atom is the longest lasting before it breaks down, before it decays. The longest lasting atomic particle we know of on the planet. It's interesting. I got some long lasting headlamps for my motorcycle because they're really bright and I want people to see me so I don't go crash. And they're named xenon. They're xenon-likes, meaning they last a long time, and they do. They got that word, I never knew this till this week, from this, this atomic particle. So there's this lab deep under the mountains in Italy where they actually had about a, a ton of xenon-124, and they had this apparatus where they could actually watch and see how it decomposes and at what rate. And the half-life, meaning this is how long it takes for half of that ton to decay and become something else. The half-life on Xenon-124 is 18 sextillion years. That's an 18 with 21 zeros after it. Now, they believe, they believe the universe is about 14 billion years old. That's way, way, way longer than they believe the universe has even been. So, at that point, a xenon particle gets bad. All the rest are still good, or half, half of them are still good. They practically do not perish, but they do perish. Trillions of years, sectillions of years, but they perish. You will be raised imperishable. Your half-life is forever. You'll be a new body that is totally, 100%, does not break down, does not go to bed, does not wear out, 100% imperishable. Does that sound pretty good? 
It's a good start. Let's go on to the second couplet. It is sown, that's you going down into the grave again, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in dishonor. It is. That's you getting old. If you get hit by a Mack truck on your motorcycle and you're gone, all right, the dishonor part might not happen. But most of us get old. And with age, there come indignities and dishonorable things. Debbie's mother lived with us for almost three years and recently passed away in our front bedroom. We had to care for her. She could not have lived three days by herself. Dementia, old age, weakness. And if she had had the presence of mind to know it, there were dishonorable things. There were demeaning things. There were lowly parts to that. That's what Paul's talking about here. We are sown in dishonor. You're around someone dying. They're gasping for breath. They've lost all their weight. It's, it's not honoring. It's dishonoring. And all the glory and all the splendor and all the hopes and all the loves of their whole life end up with things like bedpans and spittle. It's where we're all headed. Just thought I'd cheer you with those words. It is sown in dishonor. That's, what it is. that's this body. That's, the, that's where we are now. But it is raised in glory. The Greek word in the New Testament is doxa. It's the same word used, the exact same used word used for the glory of God. And you know how the heavens declare the glory of God. That's what we'll be raised in. Glory. Dishonor. Glory. I've been around many people who were dying. I'm a pastor. We get around people who are dying. And as I said, my wife's mother just lived with us. And all that dishonor that I've seen, and to imagine when Alice is raised, I'll see her in glory. C.S. Lewis said, if you could see me now, as I'll be then, you would be tempted to fall down and worship me. That's right, because Jesus Christ said, then the righteous shall shine like the sun. Dishonor. Shining like the sun. This is Paul's description to us of what we'll be like, what our bodies will be like in heaven. Not a bad trade, would you agree? There's a new you coming. Paul describes it in Colossians 3. I don't have these words up for you, but I'll read them. Listen. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden, so, so we don't see it yet. We just see you, this version of you, not so great. It's going to be sown in dishonor. But there's a, another you coming, hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
in glory. You appear with him in glory. So what's sown is perishable, it's raised incorruptible. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Here's the third couplet. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in weakness. So between services, I got into a conversation right over in there with two guys who are both much younger than me and are lifting heavy weights and going after personal records, PRs. And they were describing, like one of them was talking about his brutal, brutal leg day and all that he does to his legs. He said it was a couple days ago and he can barely walk today. I just listened and smiled. And I told him, enjoy it while you're young. When you get to be 66, you don't try for PRs anymore. You try not to hurt yourself. That's my main goal with the gym is enjoy the podcast, try not to hurt myself. So I'm up in the 12 rep range, and that's leaving a couple easily in the tank. I'm not going for, going for broke anymore. It is sown in weakness. We're all getting weaker. You know from the time you're about 30 or 35, if you're not doing something about it, from there, it's all downhill. You're going downhill. You're losing muscle mass, unless you're really working on it, and in some cases, you're still losing muscle mass. And you're gaining fat, good news, huh? And a pound of fat is a lot bigger than a pound of muscle mass. They weigh the same, they're both a pound. But a pound, pound of fat is a lot bigger, so you lost this much muscle and you gain that much fat, and you say, I weigh the same as I did in high school. Yeah, it's distributed rather differently. We're all going downhill. It's sown in weakness. It's disappointing what my leg press is now compared to what it was just three years ago, but it is. Weakness. The whole time Debbie's mother lived with us, sorry to keep mentioning her, this will be the last. That entire time, three years, she could not once get herself into bed or out of bed, into a chair or out of the chair, into the bathroom or out of the bathroom. And it's not just physical weakness, it's, it's mental weakness. She did not know where the bathroom was in the house. Lived there three years. Ask her, where's the bathroom? I don't know. She wouldn't know where to go to get a glass of water. It's right there in the kitchen. She wouldn't, she didn't know. It's sown in weakness. We're all headed for weakness. But one day Alice will be raised. And then, to borrow a phrase that some of you might recognize, she will be faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful, it's raised in power, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. We're probably stretching it now. It'll be like, look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Alice. But the raised in power part, more powerful than a locomotive, that part's there, raised in power. This body, weakness. That body, power. So there's three of the couplets. It's, it's perishable, but imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Now the last couplet, it's sown a natural body. 
It has raised a spiritual body. Now, natural body simply means this body that nature gave you. As you came from your mother's womb, you have a natural body. It's the body that's subject to decay and disease. That's your natural body. And it's going to be sown a natural body. It will be raised a spiritual body. Now, don't take that wrong. Don't take it wrong. It doesn't mean spiritual as in no real physical presence, just spiritual, not that. What he's saying is your natural body is subject to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It gets you into trouble. It drags you into temptations and sins. But that body will be a spiritual body. It's a real body, but completely captivated by the power of the Spirit of God forever and ever and ever and ever, never to think a wrong thought, never to say a wrong word, never to do a foul deed, ever, 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 a spiritual body dominated by the presence and power of God's Spirit. Imperishable, glory, power, spiritual, you, in a new universe, on a new earth, forever. Paul summarizes this in Romans 8, 11. I'll put it up for you. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also, also, the one who did that will also give life to your mortal body. Mortal life. He will give you life. And again in Philippians, Paul writes, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. This is, a low, this is the lowly form of you. You're reluctant to leave this one because it's all you've ever known, and you want to stay here a long, long time and never, never die. No, 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 no. This is the lowly you. And Paul says, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So a new you changed in body. We've talked about that now. Now I want to move on to a new you changed in soul. We'll not only be changed physically, we'll also be changed in soul. We'll be changed spiritually. There will be a complete renewal of your inner man so that you are always in every way absolutely pleasing to God, holy. No temptation will ever touch you again. Listen to how John puts this. We had it in our opening scripture reading, 1 John 3. What we will be has not yet appeared. Yeah, we have Romans, um, 1 Corinthians 15. We just looked at it. But that's a general picture. What am I really going to be like? Has not yet appeared. We don't know. But here's what we do know. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Now, like him in body? Yes. But is that what John's after? No. Like him in what way? Read on. And everyone who thus hopes in him, that I'll be like him, what, what do you do? What's that wanting to be like him do? You purify yourself because he is pure. Okay, so it goes like this. I'm going to be like him in purity. And that spills back into the now and makes me want to be pure now. 
So there's going to be a new you. What's it going to be like? Pure. The word pure, as you know, means unmixed. Right now we're so mixed. There's good, there's evil. There's love, there's hate. There's right passions, there's wrong passions, there's good lusts, strong desires for Christ, there's bad and evil lusts. Right now, one of the worst problems in your life is what a mix you are, what impurity you have, what mixed motives. One of your worst problems is you're not pure. But we shall be like him. Five one-syllable words. That's what we'll be like. We'll be like him. I don't have this verse up for you, but in the book of Hebrews, describes what we'll be like. We will be the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Not just body, but in spirit, in soul, made perfect. That's what we'll be like. And won't it be wonderful? Won't it be wonderful? Never to wrestle with a bad thought again. Never a bad word again. Never a bad deed. Never, not one more selfish inclination. Never a stray thought. Now, now we're with the Apostle Paul. We get Paul. Paul wrote twice, Galatians and Romans, different iterations of it. He wrote, I don't understand myself. Because the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't. wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is Jesus Christ. But now we're like Paul. We're just like that. We can be nasty and selfish and grouchy and greedy and obstinate and peevish. So often because of things we've done, we need to say that one little word, sorry. And we can't even get that word to come out. I'll just tell you the truth. I'll be honest with you. Don't fire me. I'll tell you the truth. Debbie's way better at getting that word out than I am. It takes me longer. And there are times when I know I need to say I'm sorry, but I just can't make that word come out. We're so easily coveting and jealous and lacking in mercy, and we can be downright cruel to the people we love. You're mad at someone you love, and you prepare some mad words, and as you're ready to deliver them, you say, no, wait a minute, I know how I can say that even worse. I'll change it. I know how I can make it even pointier and go in even deeper. And I'll twist the knife when it's in. We're resentful and unforgiving, holding grudges. Even as Christians, there are times when our hearts are cold. But then, that's all gone. And we'll be like him, pure, holy, never to sin again, never to break God's commandments again, never to grieve God's Holy Spirit again, never to wound our own consciences again, always and only to do all the things that are pleasing to our Father. 
So let's summarize what we've seen about heaven. Heaven will be a beautiful new earth and a beautiful new universe, and in heaven you will be new in body and in soul. Amen. But none of that is the best part of heaven. As wonderful as that sounds, that's not the most wonderful thing about heaven. In heaven, like in old circuses, there's a big tent. There's a big show, and we haven't even gotten to the big tent. We haven't even gotten to the big show yet. Remember like in the circuses? Now it's Cirque Cirque du Soleil and everything's crazy. Incredible circuses, been the one. It was amazing, loved to go to another. But it used to be Barnum and Bailey, right? And there'd be little tents and then there's a big tent. And in the big tent, it might be, it might be the death-defying lion tamer. It might be the big elephant. It might be the, the trapeze act. It might be the guy on the wire holding a pole. And you know, one of those would be, and now the really big show, and it would happen. What's the really big show in heaven? It's the presence of the Lamb. It's the Lamb. And the Bible makes a huge point out of this that it's the Lamb. Let me take you to the book of Revelation for a bunch of verses. Revelation 5. More verses than you want, but I want to impress upon you the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb is the big thing about heaven. Let's start in Revelation 5, 12. Worthy is the Lamb. There are all these people in heaven. They're saying something. Listen, can you hear them? Here's what they're saying. Worthy is the Lamb. The Lamb who was slain. He's worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb, says everybody in heaven. The next verse, 513. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Revelation 7, 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Isn't that funny? Usually lambs have shepherds. The lamb is the shepherd. And he will guide them forever and ever and ever and ever and ever to springs of living water. Nourishing our souls. And then... Revelation 22, 3 and 4. The Lamb will be in it, and they shall see his face. That's the big tent. That's the big attraction. You know, you hear people sometimes, and a dear old friend passed away, and bless him, he loved golf. Nothing wrong with golf. Enjoy your golf if you play golf. And he loved golf. And what they say about him is, well, bless his heart. He's up there in heaven playing golf now. And he might be. But that's not the big thing about heaven. That's a little, that's a flea bite. It's bless him, he's up there with the lamb. If you aren't thrilled at the prospects of being in heaven with the lamb, I think you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. 
I think you're going to be, you won't like heaven. You'll be sorely disappointed in heaven. It's all about the lamb for whom you have no heart. If you had the heart, you'd be excited about this part of heaven. I get to be with the lamb. I get to worship the lamb with all of his people. The lamb will be in it and they'll see his face. And again in Revelation 21, 23, this is amazing. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God. There's that glory. We're raised to glory. The glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. He's shepherd, lamb, lamp. And we will bask in his light, in Revelation 22, 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, the Lamb. The Lamb is the big tent. The Lamb is the big attraction. Yes, it's wonderful, a new universe. Yes, it's wonderful, a new earth. Yes, it's wonderful, a new you, new in body and new in soul, those are all wonderful. But it's, it's the lamb. Now, now we walk by faith. Then we'll walk by sight. We'll see him whom our souls have loved, the lamb. All right, some words of application. This first one is a phrase I lifted from a sermon by a man named Ted Donnelly. And he says, the deeper our experience of Christ, the more we experience a taste of heaven now. Oh, heaven sounds like such a wonderful place. It might be a long time before I get there. I might live a long time. I have to wait to get to take. No, actually, the closer you are to Christ now, the deeper your experience of his power in your life, the, the, the more of your heart and soul you put into worshiping him, you get tastes of heaven now. It's like you're making dinner and you say, I'll just taste that. Anybody taste while you're making? I'll just just to make sure it's good, that's all. You know, just taste it. Get a little taste. And then comes the meal. You can get little tastes now. In private worship, you can actually get up in the morning a little early. I'm not saying this is the law. I'm not saying you're a sinner if you don't do this. But here's one way. You can actually get up a little early in the morning and spend some time letting the light of Scripture shine into your soul and have some prayer time with your Father who is in heaven. And you're, you're getting a taste of heaven to start your day. What a way to start your day. Better than eggs. Better than bacon and avocado. A little taste of heaven in my day. I can get through my day on that taste. What about gathered worship? What's gathered worship supposed to be? A number of things. One of them is it's supposed to be a taste of heaven. What do we do in heaven? We gather and worship the Lamb. What are we doing in this room? We're gathering and worshiping the Lamb. And it's a little taste of heaven. Some of you are not coming to church 
because you're concerned about COVID. Bless you. This part's not directed at you. But some of you are not coming to church because you say, and you shouldn't have told me this because I, I can't get rid of it, and I've been looking for a way to fit this into the sermon, and I finally found my way. Some of you are telling me, well, I'm not going back till we don't have to wear masks. Now, I get it. I don't like masks any more than anybody else does. But I have to say to you, dear friend, and I say it lovingly, I'm not the least bit sympathetic. I don't get it. You won't come back to church if you have to wear a mask? Is church worth so little? A, a taste of heaven in your week means so little? Do you, do you go to work to make money in a mask? Do you go shopping at Wegmans in a mask? And it takes about an hour, and our service takes about an hour and 15. And you can't wear a mask and go worship? Friend, I would wear a thousand masks. I'd be like this big. I'd look like the Michelin tire. What's he doing with all those masks? He's going to worship. To be able to gather with God's people and worship. Who cares about a mask? The cost of missing out on this is immense, small, small price to pay. Move closer to Jesus Christ. Live and love closer to Jesus Christ and experience a taste of heaven now. That's our first closing application. Here's the second. This is for those of you who are not yet believers. To go to heaven, you need to personally receive Jesus Christ. So some of you, you, you know, you feel, you believe in your heart of hearts, there is a heaven. And you think, well, man, I want to go there. I, I want to go to heaven, not hell. I want to go to heaven. And so here's what you're doing. You're saying, so I'm going to try really, really, really hard to be a very, very, very good person. And I'm going to be moral and upstanding and upright and a good American. That, that's all good. None of that will get you to heaven. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. Without Jesus Christ, you don't go to heaven. You say, but I haven't really done much bad, and certainly God's got a grade on a curve because we all do a little bad, and compared to everybody else, I'm a pretty good person. And what you like to do with your time is your sweet grandma and you sit knitting with your cat purring by your side and you're making booties for the grandchildren and you say, what could be wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but here's what's wrong. You're refusing Jesus Christ. You're stiff-arming God. You're refusing to receive Christ as your Savior, to receive Him into your soul, dear friend. That is the worst sin you could possibly commit. It's worse than murder. The most terrible thing you could do is ignore God and treat him like junk. Treat Jesus Christ like junk and throw him on the ground and trample him. That's what the Bible says you're doing if you refuse him. In fact, I'll go a little farther. If you refuse Jesus Christ, I've got to tell you plainly, you're volunteering for hell. 
why we refuse Jesus Christ and miss out on heaven. Why will you stiff arm God? If you reject Jesus Christ, there will be no heaven for you. But friend, the door is open. The lamb has shed his blood for the remission of your sins and he offers you freely a gift of eternal life. And all you have to do is turn in your soul and call upon his saving name and receive his grace and his mercy. And you are made a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things pass away. All things become new. And you spend your life worshiping the lamb and the idea of being in heaven with the lamb thrills your soul. Why, why, why will you get sown down into the grave without a lamb, without the lamb? So I want to pray for you right now that you would open your heart, that you would open your soul, and that you would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and find in him everlasting life. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us to this place where we may worship, where we can enter into your holy presence, and where the powers of the age to come kind of drip back in on us and we feel them in our souls. We pray for boys and girls downstairs who are hearing the gospel this morning. Their faithful teachers are loving them and praying for them and opening scripture to them. Open the hearts of the boys and girls downstairs, we pray. Men and women in this room, Men and women, boys and girls watching from home, Lord, be merciful and draw people to Jesus Christ. If I'm speaking to you and you need to come to Christ, would you pray with me? Father, I've been sinning that terrible sin. I've been